As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. Hello and welcome to Matters of Life and Death. Uh, I'm Tim Wyatt um, and as always uh, I'm joined here by my dad, John Wyatt. How are you this week, John? Yeah, it's good to be here. Um, So this is our part two, really, of a conversation that we began last week, talking about human enhancement and and transhumanism. Um, If you haven't listened to the part one last week, we really recommend pausing this episode and and, and going back to that, um, as we're going to be picking up a lot of the themes and ideas that we discussed last time. Uh, We we talked about uh, the various um, avenues of research that are going down. We started talking about uh, Calico and, and companies and firms like them in Silicon Valley, which are trying to, uh, working on the problem of aging, uh, about extending life, uh, and we talked about how that's a kind of an ancient idea, but then we moved on to other forms of human enhancement, human brain interfaces, uh, nootropic drugs, uh, you know, the research that's going into expanding the capacities of the human brain, uh, and some of the some of the forces driving this. Um, but today, John, we, we wanted to, to kind of carry on that conversation by discussing uh, what illness is our Christian response to this, uh, and I guess the first thing to say is, at the moment, very little, because there hasn't really been any Christian engagement with this idea. That's right. I mean, we made the point last week that um, some of these issues which we're now having to face with the technological possibilities here in the 21st century are much more challenging uh, than, than we've ever had to face before. And and. The technology is running ahead of our ability to um, reflect and, and think about what is wise, uh, what's good, what's helpful, uh, even for the the future of humanity, and um, and that's particularly true, I think, in the Christian world. And it it sometimes seems to me that you know, Christian people are obsessed by uh, certain issues um, about sexuality, about the roles of men and women about the best kind of politics and so on and and meanwhile these enormous developments in science and technology are taking place and and it seems as though uh, the majority of christian people are either uninterested or unaware of 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 what these issues are um i I think it's quite interesting just to step back and and ask uh, what lies behind this uh, emphasis on on transhumanism on using technology to improve on on our human bodies to uh, resist aging to try to defeat death and so on and one of the things that strikes me just in terms of the history of ideas is that there's 
an extraordinary amount of techno optimism around uh, here in in 2022, um, which certainly wasn't the case. Uh, you know, if you were to go back into the 20th century, you, you're the historian. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you'd say something about that, wouldn't you? I mean, absolutely. I think in the 20th century, there was it was almost the the century that dealt the dagger blow to what's often called the Whig view of history which is an older idea from really starting in the 1700s, which is an idea that, that humankind and civilization is on this upward trajectory and that slowly and steadily we're making progress towards things that are better and things everything is getting faster and smarter and cleaner and safer and, and healthier and more technology advanced. And the 20th century is, is often seen in, in historical terms as as a massive almost uh, the, the death blow to that idea because yes human beings achieved capacities that they'd never had before but that didn't make human beings smarter better kinder we use these capacities to wage war on each other to commit genocide uh, to to imprison each other in concentration camps and gulags and it, uh, and there was a real sense in that actually technology the industrial technologies of the industrial revolution of the previous hundred years rather than being some kind of um, sanctifying process, was actually turning human beings worse. Yeah, and, and I think Hiroshima was one of the uh, ultimate symbols, wasn't it? So here was this amazingly sophisticated science, uh, this the Manhattan Project, the uh, brilliant cutting-edge um, new developments. And what was it being used for? It was incinerating thousands of people in... Uh, nuclear holocaust and so that there's a, a very deep sense of, of pessimism about the human condition and about science and technology the the old ideas that science and technology are going to uh, solve all human problems uh, in the late 20th century was was just let it was a hollow laugh i mean science and technology looked extremely threatening and uh, and it it's interesting to me reading some of the philosophers of the time. So Bertrand Russell, very well-known atheistic philosopher of the late 20th century, and he writes about only on the foundation of unyielding despair can the future of, 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 of humankind be, be based. Um, it's a, a cheery a deep, thought. Yeah, absolutely. And and but he wasn't unusual, you know. That 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 was there was a deep sense of, of nihilism, existential angst, and, and science and technology was was contributing to that. So then you fast forward, you know, into the twenty first century and it's it's like the twentieth century has been airbrushed out of history uh, and we're suddenly back in in an era of extraordinary techno optimism at least not everybody's like that but there is that this very strong um zeitgeist and it's particularly coming out of america and the um west coast silicon valley but also you get it on the east coast uh, mit and um the the big uh, universities um are promoting the idea that uh, technology is going to solve humanity's problems. And, and this now seems, again, entirely reasonable and, and, and um, an idea whose time has arrived. Hmm. Uh, uh, and we see that is 
um, that's the fundamental driving force behind the people we mentioned last week, your Elon Musks, the founders of Google uh, and others, that these kind of tech titans is that they, they made their money, they made their fortune, they entered into the world, into the public consciousness through the power of technology, often through software in, in the kind of dot-com boom of the last 20 years. And that is the mindset with which they say, right, what is next? You know, this, this computing, basically, you know, silicon chips, this computer, computing revolution that we've undergone has already transformed business and it's transformed, uh, you know, how we engage with the written word and it's TV and music. Why shouldn't it also therefore transform aging or our brain's capacities or our bodies? It's a sense in which why can't we use this technology that's already surpassed other barriers in culture and society? Why can't we use it to surpass the barriers inside our own humanity? Yes, and and there's a this. I mean, it's one of the very positive things about the American zeitgeist, isn't it? And the whole philosophy of life is a kind of can-do optimism. You know, yeah. we, why not? We is the question it, right? We can make why it happen. Not? Yeah, I mean, Europeans—they're all kind of trapped in their history and. <laughs> And uh, sort of, and they love their art and their culture and so on. But America is the place where we just sort of make it happen. We don't pioneer spirit. We, yeah, and and history is bunk. Why why should we worry about history? Why should we worry about what some old people did in the past and how it all went wrong? Um, we can forget all that stuff and just get on with creating a wonderful new world. And what's interesting is that. In some ways, it seems that that's being paralleled by movements, uh, particularly in China, um, from a f- completely different uh, cultural background and so on. There is also a great belief in China and in the Chinese Communist Party that it's science and technology which is going to, which has transformed uh, the experiences of the Chinese people, lifted so many millions of people out of poverty, uh, and science and te- uh, science and technology is going to make China the number one world power. We're going to compete with America. We're going to have better technology, better artificial intelligence, uh, better biological science, and 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 we're going to create a, a, a new utopia with, with science. A lot of Christians, when they listen to this kind of conversation, I think their in- instinct is to recoil from it. And they're easy to say, mm, I'm not sure about this plugging implants into my brains, trying to defeat aging, messing with my brain chemistry to try and not sleep for a week. This just feels wrong. And I'm sure as a Christian, I'm not supposed to be for this. Do you think that instinct is well-grounded? Well, it's what people often uh, used to call, I I don't hear it so often now, but they used to call this the yuck factor. You know, whenever scientists come up with some new uh, idea... Uh, particularly a new treatment or, or a new possibility of using technology on the human body, the initial response is one of yuck. I don't. I don't that sounds horrible. I don't want wires in my brain. I, I don't want to have chemicals uh, which are being used to improve my intelligence. Um, but what history shows us is that the yuck factor actually is a pretty fragile kind of emotional response because... If you go back, there was the yuck factor about using anaesthetics. There was the yuck factor about surgery. There was the yuck factor about IVF and test tube babies. Yuck factor about heart surgery. And yet, you know, give it give it a few decades, and we all think these things now are completely normal, and 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 we don't have that 
in general that same kind of intuitive emotional response so so i think that the yuck factor by and large is a uh, is a fairly fragile emotion but i wouldn't dismiss it completely out of hand i i think that behind the the so-called yuck factor there may be some much deeper intuitions about about the limits of science about and about a respect for what i would call theologically the creation order the the, the way that god has made creation and i think that's to me what seems to be one of the critical issues we need to untangle here is that how are we placing those limits if we believe that there should be limits in, in technology and science or that it's unwise to 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 have this as completely unbounded where do we draw the line between tweaks to our humanity that we're quite comfortable with um i don't know maybe um using antidepressants to better improve the balance of your brain chemistry and hormones so that you don't feel anxious all the time and tweaks to our humanity that we're uncomfortable with um you know letting us live for 400 years yeah and so as i've wrestled with this over the years um i i've often come across and and, and used a, an analogy which we we've talked about before which is the idea of, of do we regard the the human body as a lego kit or is it a flawed masterpiece that's the so a Lego kit um, is how many transhumanists and, and biological scientists would regard the human body. In other words, there is no fundamental design or order in a Lego kit. I mean, you open the box and you've got all the bits there and you can make of it whatever you want. Uh, and and the, the beauty about the Lego kit is, is that all the bits fit together and can be rearranged according to your will. So the only limitation is in your imagination. And that's how many scientists um, think of biology, uh, particularly molecular biology and uh, molecular genetics and so on. You know, as, as we now understand the way that DNA works, we understand uh, how, the, how we can change the DNA code in order to uh, encourage uh, cells to generate different proteins. There's basically no limit now. We, 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 we're getting control of the, of the fundamental building blocks and there is no fundamental order behind it all and the, now the alternative view is the view of the flawed masterpiece and that is that the human body is is not like a Lego kit it's like a wonderful artistic masterpiece of like one of the Dutch masters by Rembrandt say but it's been flawed and damaged by the effects of aging and the use of technology should be like that of an art restorer we we use very sophisticated technology but our fundamental goal behind art restoration is to understand the intentions of the original artist and then say we're going to use our technology in order to fulfill the original designer's intentions Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. So in this framework, you, you're saying that there could be, Christians could, could support and endorse forms of human enhancement that, that were in line with God's created order, 
to use an example, potentially someone maybe who who um, had problems with their eyesight and we could uh, implant an artificial lens or something like that into their eye, change the, the function of their eye. But that's because we believe that is God's intention for everyone to have 20-20 vision. And if you were born without decent vision, actually that's a form of enhancement that, that is in totally in line with God's created order. Yes, and in fact, I wouldn't use the phrase enhancement there. I would say that's a restorative therapy. It's, it's restoring um, the person's eyesight to, to the original creator's intention. But suppose we could implant uh, chips which were sensitive to ultraviolet radiation hmm. or, or enabled you to uh, identify things at a distance of several miles because they had far better um abilities then that's where i start to get concerned because then that seems to me to be actually changing the design that's that's changing the nature uh, of the way of the fundamental design that's in our human bodies well therefore the, the next logical question is if we're trying to analyze different forms of, of human enhancement or human messing around with uh we need to have a really robust idea of what the intention is what 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 are we comparing this to what is the kind of archetypal human that we are comparing each intervention to and deciding if it's good or if it's restorative or if it's enhancing isn't that quite a challenging thing because actually we can't just look at our own humanity because we're all marred by the fall yeah and it is and this is um a highly contested and and, and difficult area and there are certainly many uh, philosophers and thinkers who would say any idea of what's sometimes called human essentialism, there is some kind of fundamental order and design in the human body, um, that that is, is lost. There's no way that we can recover what is some kind of uh, a hidden essentialism about about the body and, and they would go further and they would say that historically uh, dictators and and other uh, totalitarian uh, figures and governments have often used flawed uh, ideas of human essentialism as a way of imposing power so so I define what's really human is a white male and anybody who isn't a white male is is not essentially fully human and therefore i can treat these other beings because they're not really the essential perfect human which which i represent and sadly there's similar strains of that in some christian history i know that lots of some of the church fathers there was an ongoing debate among song about the place of women and whether they were an equal co-equal made in the image of god version of humanity or whether maleness was intrinsic and femaleness was a, a kind of perverted, flawed, deformed version of maleness, potentially, you know, less lacking in, in some kind of soul or something like that. Yeah, so I think one has to approach this kind of quest for uh, an essential, ideal kind of humanity with, with great caution and care. But nonetheless, I personally find um, the the theological approach that sees in Jesus um, what humanity was intended to be 
So, so in the Bible, Jesus is described as the second Adam, as 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 humanity as was originally intended in, in some ways, and or as the and as the progenitor, the first fruits of a new kind of humanity, and. I think there are clues there that that help us in this difficult area that we can say if that original kind of humanity that we see in Jesus is the kind of humanity that God has authenticated and confirmed in in the incarnation and above all in the resurrection then um, we can see we don't need to use technological enhancement of our humanity. And to put it in rather simplistic terms, if, if that kind of human body was, was good enough for Jesus, then it's good enough for me. That's really helpful, isn't it? Because the incarnation helps us to avoid falling into some kind of platonic trap of looking for the perfect form of humanity, uh, trying to find some kind of hypothetical uh, perfect, perfected humanity that we need to hold ourselves up against. But actually there isn't we're not looking for a hypothetical form we're looking we're actually looking at a we're supposed to be dwelling and 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 meditating upon a real human historical person in jesus jesus of nazareth who who not only was born into our flesh but then showed us what is to come in the resurrection showed us this new but yet the same bodily bodiliness embodiment that is our future as well yes and um Oliver O'Donovan is a very well-known British theologian who has particularly um, put forward this this kind of understanding, which I personally have found very helpful and informative. And, and he has a, a, a very heavyweight book called Resurrection and Moral Order, where he argues that when Jesus is raised as a recognisable, physical, touchable human being um, who is in continuity with... The, the 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 Jesus of Nazareth who before the resurrection before his his death on the cross he's the same but different and um, O'Donovan argues that this is God's final vote of confidence in original model humanity I mean I'm slightly paraphrasing you know the mark one human that we see in Adam has been finally vindicated by uh, the incarnation and the resurrection of Jesus is this what people sometimes call the the kind of biblical theme of divinization the idea that in the incarnation god has divinized our flesh well it's a very interesting um idea and when you when you talk about divinization the first response i think is is one of of shock even horror i mean because that sounds blasphemous that that uh, human beings are somehow made divine and and that's not what the um, the historic uh, doctrine states. It it doesn't say that um, human beings are intended to become the same uh, substance as God, to become identical with God. But what it does say is that God's plan for humanity is to be trans so transformed that we will take on many of the attributes which at the moment only God himself has. And in that sense, we, in, in, in union with Christ, we will uh, 
take on a, a, a glorious humanity. So, so the ultimate end of, 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 of God's plan for humanity does not stop at salvation. Uh, and this is very clear, for instance, in, in Romans chapter 8, that the, the ultimate aim of God's plan of salvation is glorification. It's that is that human beings will be glorified. And I wonder whether part of this drive that we see so strongly in the transhumanist who they're, they're basically saying there must be more to humanity than just this current form uh, why don't we use technology to so that our dreams can come true i wonder whether in some sense that's driven by this this longing which we all have in our deepest parts of our being a longing for a deeper and more wonderful kind of humanity i mean that's where the trans in transhumanism comes from it's about transcendence it's about and that's something that Christianity ultimately endorses, is as you say, it's it's you know in the kind of cheesy youth group way that that every human being has a kind of hole in themselves that can only be filled with God. That we were made to yearn for something beyond simply the 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 stuff of the flesh in the here and now. It's just that it's in our kind of contemporary post Christendom secular age for some people that's been diverted into a kind of renewed mythical quest to kill off death. By technology rather than saying actually death has been dealt with not by calico but by jesus by by dying and then defeating it on the cross and that now our the our physical death here is is not the end and we will be raised ra raised in these new spiritual bodies as paul talks about in, in 1 corinthians that's right but it's not just the defeat of death it's also the enhancement of of human abilities so you know we just get fascinating uh, glimpses of this in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 uh, Paul says uh, you know the, the body is is raised as a as a spiritual body as you say and and, and that's not the idea that it's somehow not uh, that it's immaterial that it doesn't have any material form it's just that it, the, the the it's the idea that that the Holy Spirit will energize and drive our bodies um, and uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, now we know in part, but then we will know fully, we will know face to face. And, and he even says, now I will know as I, as I am known, then I will know as I am known. In other words, our conscious awareness is going to be massively expanded. Uh, we are going to have experiences of, 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 of understanding, of of being united with Christ, of of being part of His glorified uh, bride, and, and and so on, mind-boggling stuff about about what is in store for humanity. You know, again, uh, it says what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what what has never ever ever entered into human hearts, is what God has intended for those who love Him. We're coming into land, I think, but just briefly before we draw this episode to a close, I wanted us to to note that there are there are other Christian responses to transhumanism that haven't necessarily followed the same the same line that we've been sketching out. For, for example, some some theologians argue that actually there's a there's a way of doing human enhancement which is not resisting uh, uh, God's order, but is about collaboration with God. It's using technology to cultivate our humanity in the same way that 
that God gave us the the, the world and, and created order in in, in the world in, in the universe, and we were not supposed just to sit there and maintain it in its pristine sort of sort, but we were intended to develop farming and cities and and the plow and all these other forms of technology which have stewarded and shaped and and out of the raw materials almost that God gave us, we've we've created new things and and there's a strong theme throughout the Bible that that is part of the creation mandate. Could we not also cultivate and steward our bodies in the same way? Yes, th- this is definitely um, an alternative view, uh, a more positive view towards human enhancement. And I would say at the moment it's a pretty minority view amongst theologians, but it, but certainly there are some people who are arguing that's that's the case. And for instance, you know, if we could use technology to make human beings less aggressive, less filled with with anger and hatred and and much more collaborative in their uh, natural responses, um, would that be an inappropriate use of technology? Um, and I I can see the force of the um, of the argument. I I think what I would have to say is, I think that the priority is to use medical technology for healing diseases and and at the moment there are so many people across the planet whose lives are absolutely devastated by disease uh, by disability uh, by things which are uh, treatable with with existing technology surely our priority should be to use our money our expenses our resources our research to try to ensure that every human being on the planet has access to uh, really high quality healthcare. Now, if you fast forward and say, and imagine some utopian future and say, if we get to the point when every human being has access to excellent healthcare, might it be possible then to start using technology to explore whether we can actually improve on our humanity? I wouldn't rule that completely out of court. I just would say it's not the high priority at this moment. I mean, to be brief and a little crude, you could say, you know, Calico could invest three billion dollars trying to extend human lives and maybe for a tiny number of people let them live from to 99 rather than 98 but that three billion dollars could could gain us thousands of, of life years of, of people who are currently dying in childbirth in Africa that's right and so there is a difference between a kind of theoretical possibility versus the hard practicalities of where we are here in 2022 and I would say we're so far from that uh, utopian ideal where healthcare is available for all uh, across the planet that what what we should be doing is uh, trying to ensure the very best care we can for for human beings across the planet the very best kind of restorative technology before we start focusing our attention on enhancement. Great. Well, we'll have to wrap it up there. Um, It's been a fascinating discussion. Thanks so much for your time, John. Um, I'm looking forward to speaking to you next week. Okay. Thanks a lot, Tim. Speak again next week. You've been listening to Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable.